You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Spilko, along with managing editor Lauren Roche and Sam Ostry. We are back for another Wednesday edition of the podcast, and we finally have a men's basketball game to talk about. So let's talk about the season opener win that Maryland men's basketball had over Quinnipiac. The men's team takes the win in College Park, 83-69, and now Maryland has won 45 consecutive home openers. And just let's go over our overall takeaways from the game and just go over the atmosphere of what we went through in our first men's game covering it together. Yeah, the, the college basketball season, the men's and women's college basketball season are back. And it's very exciting. There was fans finally. I think it was like 600-something day. I don't know the exact days, like 19 months maybe. Since March of 2020, the fans were back in Xfinity Center. We know the role fans play. Um, so that was awesome to see. I know the players and coaches appreciated that. Um, and it wasn't a very good team that they were playing in, in Quinnipiac, but they handled their business, especially the starting unit. And they, they showcased, I mean, there's a bunch of takeaways, a bunch of things we're going to get to. Their new big men, the transfers, Fats had a great game, the steadiness of Eric Ayala and Dante Scott, but their depth is as advertised. I mean, after the game, um, Mark Turgeon was saying, like, we have seven starters, and he's really not lying. I mean, Julian Reese coming off the bench, providing that big man that when um, Kudis goes out of the game. And then Ian Martinez, who could be a starter on a very good college basketball team, but there's just a lot of positions there that, that are filled already when he, he has a transfer from Utah. So there's, it's a ton of depth. I mean, those, you really, when he's saying they have seven starters, I mean, they really do. And then um, Pavlo came in and made, made a contribution and there's and Xavier green on the defensive end. So this team is going to be, they've been talking about all, all off season. It's deep, it's experienced, and it's a wildly different roster than was showcased last year because this offense is free flowing play with a high pace, they're very well put together, a true point guard, a true center, uh, wing scores. So, I mean, this is a very different team than last year and a very different, different offense. So there is reason to be excited for uh, Maryland fans. Yeah, I agree. I think that there was a lot to see. I thought it was really exciting to kind of see this completely new lineup for Maryland um, in action. I My personal favorite part of the game was just being able to see all of those new players who we haven't necessarily seen before play. So, you know, seeing Fats and Q get in and starting and really making that impact immediately. And everyone, you know, um, Turgeon said it after the game, but Fats Russell is going to be a fan favorite. And that was very apparent from even within like just the first five minutes of the game. And then, like you were saying, off the bench, all of those new guys off the bench, whether it's, you know, Julian, who's a freshman, some of the other transfers, and Ian and Pablo, Simon, um, his leadership skills, um, Eric Ayala touched upon them yesterday, but his impact kind of off the court has been made felt. So being able to kind of see that all in action was really exciting. And I agree. I think that it was a good way to get fans excited for um, the year. The first game in Xfinity definitely had a relatively good showing for you know, what was expected. And Turgeon, after the game, he kind of emphasized how that this team is still such a work in progress. And I think we did see that a little bit in the first half. Maryland definitely didn't start out super hot. I mean, they pulled away to, to make it a double-digit game, and they consistently kept it at a double-digit game. They didn't really allow Quinnipiac to come back in it. But there were, I think, Maryland committed something like nine or ten turnovers in the first half. At points, they look a little discombobulated on offense, a little inefficient. But overall, 
I mean, the chemistry seems to be there for this team. I think that's a really good thing to take away from it. And I just wanted to see if you guys kind of recognize that same kind of chemistry and if they really showed it on the court on Tuesday. Yeah, and I think well, like a lot of times we have new pieces and transfers coming in. It takes some time for that chemistry to be built. This is a roster where there's transfers. Um, like Fats Russell knew, played high school basketball with Dante Scott. He's from the Philadelphia area where um, Eric Ayala's played a lot of ball, Hakeem Hart's played a lot of ball. So they've played together. So the chemistry that usually you have to build with – new pieces coming in it wasn't as hard this year because for those five starters everyone but um q they'd played a ton of ball together coming before college even before any of them even went to college so that's a big factor to it where it's like this chemistry doesn't necessarily need to be built it's kind of already there and, and you can see that when they're playing together um obviously you have to fit in q to the equation there's a couple freshmen e martinez xavier green are both transfers but for the most part it felt like this this team was way further than you would expect a team with as many new pieces in terms of their chemistry. And it's still the first game of the season. They had all summer and the preseason, but it's still the first game of the season. And it's only going to get better as the year goes on. So I think the chemistry, especially as they get into big, some big 10 opponent opponents, it's going to, it's going to be a, a, a factor that really benefits Maryland. Yeah. And I think we've heard a lot of conversation in these last few weeks leading up to the season about the chemistry, but I don't think you really, see I don't think you can really see it in action until real game and you know we got a taste of it in the exhibition but really being able to see the way that like you said the four players who played together before the way that they really so naturally played together and kind of it's clear they fall back into that rhythm but you know they had the full off season and I think that this is a team that is really just kind of standing behind the common goal of doing well, doing well for themselves, for the program, for Eric Ayala who came back for a senior year. I think they're all just very aware of what the, their talent level can do and how if they build their chemistry, it takes them even more to that next level that they're hoping to get to. So I think that they put in the work in the offseason and it was incredibly evident yesterday. Yeah, you mentioned that. And like, I feel as though they recognize that they have the talent, they have the pieces to really be a top 25 team in the nation. And it's just such a different contrast from last year because you were entering a year where the team had so many more question marks than it did coming right into this season and after the additions of Wahab and uh, uh, Russell. But last year there wasn't, there wasn't as many expectations. And I think those expectations have, has kind of forced this team to kind of really kind of gel together early in the season. And it's, it's early, but they looked pretty good against Quinnipiac and they came away with the 14 point win. And the story of the game was the newcomers. And you guys mentioned it before all the players from the transfer portal, the young guys, and just let's let's just touched on who really impressed us the most after the players playing in their first game in a Maryland uniform. And I just want to start out by saying that I think the obvious choice would be like a, a Russell and Wahab, but I'm going to go with Ian Martinez. I think that it's going to be more important than ever to have a really good sixth guy, that first guy coming off the bench, especially with how good the Big Ten is and everybody's got depth and you really need your second lineup to produce somewhat on track that your first lineup is uh, producing. So I think Ian Martinez, with the eight points that he finished with, I think he really did well enough to prove that he's going to be a very stable guy in the backcourt for this Maryland team. So I was just really impressed with what he was able to do. And I think that the fact that Maryland has a reliable point guard behind uh, Fats Russell and Eric Ayala, if he ever has to, to play the one, I think that they have a really good point guard in Ian Martinez. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of excuse me, there's a bunch of guys that you could pick from that, and I don't I don't blame 
you forgot with Ian Martinez there. But like, I, I mean, you're right. He can come in and create his own shot. And that cut, that off the bench is really important. And that's big for them. But I'm going to go with, and I could go with Kudis and I could, you could go with Fats. And there's every new guy really who got um, a lot of playing time yesterday impressed. But I'm going to go with um, Julian Reese, who came in off the bench as a center, backup center to, um, to Kudis. And you heard a lot of hype around him that they were, he was developing quicker than he could, could have even expected as a freshman big. But he really impressed. I mean, he's really long. He's athletic, an athletic 6'9", who can run the floor, good hands, can scrape up rebounds, make something out of nothing. And he can step down and hit a jumper too. So, I mean, I'm, it's very impressive what the performance that he put on yesterday. And they like last year, they didn't have one center to work with. Dante Scott was playing the center position because they didn't have a single center on the roster. They, they, they recruited Julian Reese to come in and they got um, Kudis from Georgetown as a, as a transfer. So that's, they now have two legitimate starting centers that, that very well could split time. I mean, Q was obviously great yesterday too within the, in the 17 minutes he played. But Julian proved that he's a legitimately starting center, and he's and he maybe he's a little out of shape. But that's just going to happen as um, that's just, he's just going to develop that as he goes through um the just the college process and and learns more in terms of getting his body right and all that. But in a, in a debut for a college freshman, and he was he was incredibly impressive. Impressive, and Maryland may have a legitimate big man for years to come. Yeah, I'd agree with Julian. I think that in uh it's a position area that maryland has had such a large gap in for a while or at least last year so to have q um starting there and being so successful and knowing that julian is also there i think is really huge for this maryland team i think what he was able to do in his first true game as a true freshman was pretty unbelievable and watching just the way not only the way that he plays but also just kind of the energy that he brings off the bench for the team is something pretty fun and unique for them. And I think that when you look at, you know, it's evident on the stat sheet as well. I mean, to come out of that game and be one of the players to have scored in double digits coming off the bench, I think says a lot about who he is as what he, or says a lot about what his potential is. I mean, when Maryland gets into big 10 play, it'll be a whole different ball game, but I do think that he provides a lot of depth of, Honestly, all of the players who came off the bench yesterday do, but he provides a lot of depth and shows that he showed that he can do something really, really special at Maryland in his really lengthy um, or potentially lengthy career he could have here. So going back to some other players that performed well that are new in a Maryland uniform, you obviously have uh, Kudus Wahab, 17 points, 7 to 10 shooting, Fats Russell, 12 points, 5 of 9 shooting, and they fit – I tweeted this out after the game. I love the tweets that they fit so well into this lineup, and I don't think that anybody else that Turgeon could have picked in the transfer portal could have really fit what this roster needed more. So I really think the starting five is going to develop into something even better than they showed against Quinnipiac because, of course, it's just the first game of the season, and they got a long way to go into the late parts of spring and all through January, February in the Big Ten schedule. So – Long season ahead for Maryland men's basketball. And just going back to Julian Reese, the four-star Baltimore native, you know, is he the best player coming off this bench for Maryland? Because Ian Martinez and Julian Reese, they're both important factors. But if you had to pick one out of the two, who's the more critical factor for Maryland moving forward? I mean, it's hard to say, but probably Ian Martinez, because I think 
you have already a center there in Q who can play, who, who is your starting center and he can play legitimate, um, like long minutes. I mean, he only played 17 last night because he didn't really need to. And they were giving Julian a lot of run and other guys got run when the game got out of hand. But I mean, Q can play way more than 17 minutes and I'm, sh- I'm sure he will moving forward in that, in closer games. But so I think, I think it's Ian Martinez just because you need that backup um, score to come in. Like he's really a combo guard. He can run the point when Fats goes out. He can play the two and he can create his own shot, like I said earlier. So if Ayala, Ayala ever needs break, Fats ever needs break, I mean, he's going to be the guy that comes in and replaces those guys and can make an impact, an immediate scoring impact, especially um, off the bench. So I think that's going to be pivotal for this team as depth becomes more important in, in Big Ten play. Like Turgeon says, there's there's depth and there's Big Ten depth, which are two different things, and they're really going to need that Big Ten depth in a tough conference. So I think Ian Martinez is is will play more of a impactful role this year. But I mean, they're both they're both going to be the sixth and seventh man. Yeah, I say Julian just for the sole fact that this is a position area where Maryland lacked any sort of anything last season, and now they have two great options for it. So I think when you just compare. Um, this team to last team, if, you know, Julian, let's say was on the team last year, he would have made a huge impact. So to look at it, you know, Q's ahead of him, I think it's only going to make him a stronger player. Um, the two of them practicing together only is going to make Julian a stronger player. He's going to continue to develop. And I think that coming off the bench and knowing that if you take Q out, you have somebody who is um, reliable or will eventually become more reliable once he cleans up some of his mistakes that he makes just because, you know, this is his first time playing in college, that he's going to continue to have such a large impact because of the, um, and it'll be seen and felt because of the lack there was of him or anyone like him last season. So the front court for Maryland is pretty much set with Wahab and Reese leading the way. And then looking at that back court with Ayala and Fats, just what, it, what are initial impressions of what they were able to do? on Tuesday against Quinnipiac because they seem to complement each other fairly well with Russell primarily being the passer and Ayala being the finisher. And I think that's something that everybody expected going to the season. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they weren't really shying away from admitting that. I think Russell said in one of his interviews, like my job is to find guys that are open. And one of those guys is going to be Eric Ayala, who is probably going to be the best three point shooter on this team. So if you just look at that duo and how they kind of auditioned in front of Maryland, just what did you think of that backcourt in general? Yeah, Fats Russell, two years ago, I mean, he put up a terrific season, uh, junior season for Rhode Island. He was really one of the best and most talked about college basketball players in the country because of how phenomenal phenomenal he was. And he was top five or something in, in scoring in the entire country. Last year, he was injured all year but he was still playing through injuries. So he really had it down near. I think he's become very underrated because of that. He also had to carry way more of a load on his back for Rhode Island. And he doesn't have to do that in terms of score. I mean, he can be a legitimate distributor and, you know, you can talk about his quickness and you saw it at Rhode Island, but when you really see it in person with, or how, how many few dribbles it takes him to get down the court or when he's at the perimeter, he's by someone with one super quick first step step and he's already at the rim. And he's a good finisher. So when you have that, where he can be a distributor and just and get in the lane and and fight and people need to help to, to try to, to try to prevent him from being in the lane and he can kick and find open shooters that helps everyone but especially Ayala who does, who can play off the ball and be be a tuga he doesn't need to be the he doesn't need to be the the, the starting point guard like he was last year even assume ball handling 
ball handling duties. And we even saw that when Ayala went out yesterday, Ian Martinez was the guy bringing up the ball. So Ayala is way more comfortable as a complete shooting guard, which, which is going to benefit him and, and help him score the ball. But also, Fats is going to be able to be a distributor and to score when he needs to be. And we didn't even see him shoot a three ball yesterday. I think his three is going to be much improved um, this season, and he's going to take them when he needs to, but he's not going to force those. We didn't see one attempt from him from Fats yesterday from three. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that Turgeon talked about it the other day, um, the position that Eric Ayala is playing in this season, he feels a lot more comfortable in. And it's one less thing for him to have to kind of, I guess, focus on. It comes like a little bit more naturally, I guess, for him. But I mean, yesterday, Ayala hit within the first minutes of the game, his um, 1,000th career point. And I think that that's just an indication of kind of what he, maybe it sets the tone for the rest of the season and kind of shows the potential that he has. Um, Turgeon talked about yesterday how he wasn't expecting Ayala to become the player that he has become at Maryland and that he's developed in ways that he hasn't necessarily seen. And I think, again, there's a lot, knowing it's his senior season, despite having this extra year of eligibility, if he wants to take it, there's this extra drive and motivation. And I think he's going to do whatever it takes to win and to be in this position where he is feeling more comfortable with where he's at and to have Fats Russell, who's going to be the one playing alongside him and complimenting him. I think it's going to work out really well. And I especially think it'll work out well in situations where, you know, Fats Russell's speed is definitely going to come in handy. And I think we'll slowly start to see that. I think we got a preview of it yesterday for sure. But I think especially when they start playing um, in conference, we'll be able to really see how much of a benefit that'll be for Maryland. So Maryland's starting five is fairly set with Ayala and Russell and then Hakeem Hart, who we haven't really mentioned, whose defense has really improved, as Turgeon mentioned. He's really improved his defense. He wasn't really going to be a scorer. Lauren, Lauren, you and I were talking about this at the game. Don't really expect Hakeem Hart to be that big of a scorer on this team with so many mouths to feed. Is that going to be a typical performance from Hakeem Hart that we saw yesterday, the more defensive-minded small forward that's just going to go up and down the court and do his job? I don't think it's going to necessarily be a typical performance where he goes, I think he had two points the entire game, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. so I don't know if that's a typical performance just because I think he's going to get more minutes usually. They obviously didn't play as much because it was open game, wanted to try new lineups, give other guys a shot, and they were up big for almost the entire game. But it was impressive, his on-ball defense, and just how engaged he was defensively. Watching him the last two years, that wasn't always the case, and that happens with younger guys, but he was really engaged defensively yesterday. And you can see that jump in terms of his body, and everything in terms of offensively, I mean, yeah, he's not, he's really the fifth option scoring wise on that team. And I think you'll see that in terms of a scoring average when the year's all said and done, but he still is a good shooter. He, he's transformed his shot when he gets open looks and he remains aggressive. He's going to have an opportunity to score even as the fifth option. So I think you're not going to expect two points from most nights. And he really is a guy like he's capable as we saw last season, even against not a great team, he went for 30. Um, so, like, he's capable of having those nights where he's lights out from three. And if he is, the guys will find him. But for now, he's really the secondary scoring option. And another, we didn't really, like, Ayala and Dante, Scott, we talk about all the time. But having two legitimately steady guys who you're not even necessarily impressed with all the time just because you expect it from them when they just have 13 to 16-point performances. They each had 13 last night. That's incredibly useful for any team where you just have two guys like that that you can just trust night in and night out to find find their baskets, um, get everyone else involved too, and just 
just really be your go-to scorers. And like, you never have to worry about them because they're just a steady presence on offense that they've been the last couple of years. And they're really the vets and the leaders of this team. So, I mean, that's, that's something that you're not necessarily going to talk about unless they go for like 25 plus a game, but having two guys like that, not just one, but two guys who are really that steady of a presence on offense. I mean, that could be invaluable for this team. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that we'll see two point performances from him, but I wouldn't be surprised if when it's all said and done, he does average the fewest amount of points. I wouldn't um, out of the five of them, the five starters right now, but I think that his defense is something that is going to come in handy for Maryland. I think having him as somebody who again has made a jump and I mean, we talk a lot about a mindset that this team has, or everybody has like this, I guess, um, goal of winning titles or whatever it is. Um, he's someone who really wants to be a competitor in the Big Ten, and I think the way that he's improved his defense, he'll be able to compete, maybe not necessarily um, in the points column, but I think, you know, um, for him to be able to have three steals last night really just shows kind of the jump that he's made and also, I guess, the potential that he has going forward. So Maryland's 1-0 after the season opener, win against Quinnipiac. They will now move on and look forward to a game against George Washington. It's the return of Ricky Lindo Jr. in College Park, and that'll be on November 11th, Thursday at 6.30 p.m., and we will all be there covering that one. So that's the next game for Maryland men's basketball. And now we will go on to football, which, honestly, the Penn State game, it kind of feels like a year ago. I, I mean, with, with basketball now going on, it just it feels like a, a whole. I was just thing. thinking that. I mean, that literally, like, that was literally like three, four days ago. I mean, I geez. know it feels like a, a extremely long time ago, but we do have to talk about it. So, Maryland football played number twenty-two Penn State in uh, College Park, and Maryland lost thirty-one fourteen. It was a pretty close game at the end of the first half. I believe it was a one-point game, and the game kind of got away from Maryland as it went along, and. Talia Tagovailoa was forced to throw 57 passes throughout the entire game. Maryland ended up giving up 17 points in the fourth quarter after allowing just 14 in the first three, and they go on to lose 31 to 14. So just initially, what do we think about that fourth quarter collapse? And, and once again, Maryland with another chance at home to get a ranked win, as we've seen other teams like Illinois and Purdue pull off this season. But Maryland doesn't seem ready to take down these top opponents yet. Yeah, I mean, everyone's just waiting for Maryland to beat a team that they're not supposed to beat. And it's, 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 everyone wants to see it, especially at home. And it just hasn't been able to happen yet, especially towards that top of the Big Ten East. And a big part of it is because of their discipline issues all year. I mean, they had so many opportunities to win that game. And Loxley, you could see it after the game. He was really disappointed because that wasn't like some – beat down where like Iowa and Ohio state just destroyed them. The Maryland couldn't even compete with them from a talent level, from a coaching level. They just destroyed them from start to finish. Maryland could have, and very well should have won that game against not a very great Penn state team, but nonetheless a ranked Penn state team um, and could have handed them their fourth straight loss, but it was, it was penalties. It was um, like fumbles off a muff snap that we saw. Maryland was driving down in the first half and there was a, or I think it was the third quarter, maybe actually. And, and there was a muff snap in their own, in the red zone. Maryland easily could have scored a touchdown. It would have been a wildly different game if they did. Um, and then Talia ends up fumbling that from the muff snap. We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe it went through his hands, bad snap. But it's a miscue nonetheless, and it shouldn't happen. And then um, just letting Jahan Dotson, like, go loose. I mean, he was, like, 
Locksley said after the game, he was running slant lots, slant routes for 242 yards. And that's a lot of what that was. I mean, when Penn State's backed up, Maryland scores, it's a tied game. Penn State's backed up um, near their own goal line, like really essentially like on the 20-yard line, their own 20-yard line. And they throw, throw a slant lot to Jahan Dodson, breaks loose for an 85 or 80-yard touchdown, something like that. I mean, that's just unacceptable and stuff like that can't happen. Um, it's missed tackles on the defensive end. There's so many just avoidable mistakes that has been the theme all season. Now with three le- weeks left in the season, they still haven't cleaned it up. I mean, it's it's frustrating to watch. If, if you're a fan, it's really frustrating to watch for anyone because it's like, when will they get over that hump where they can beat these high-level Big Ten East opponents? And it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen with these mistakes. The thing is, is that these losses are normally coming from techniques or plays that they know are going to happen. Like with all week, the conversation was about um, Jahan Dotson and his talent. And, you know, you heard it from Loxley. You heard it from the players and availability. Before Minnesota, you heard about the run game. And, you know, it's kind of this consistent – here's this team's strength. We know it's their strength. In Minnesota's case, we have two weeks to work on it. Um, Penn State case, the one week, but knowing it's coming and not being able to defend it. Ohio State too with the passing game. I mean, you look at it and you know what the strengths are and they talk about, the players talk about it, uh, Coach Loxley talks about it, but there's seems to still be this disconnect between what they know is going to be I guess their Achilles heel for the weekend and what turns out to be in stopping that, like there seems to be, um, you know, obviously they identify what it's going to be, but then they have trouble kind of stopping it. And we talked about this before um, on last week's podcast, but as soon as we knew, as soon as Maryland was going to fall heavily behind Penn state, that it was just going to snowball a little bit and we saw it happen. And I don't know if it's a composure thing. I don't know if it's a mindset thing. I don't know what exactly it is, but Maryland just plays a lot better when they're up and they're making a lot less mistakes. And maybe it's a, a rushing thing and a sense of urgency, but we've seen this season. I mean, Maryland stayed with Penn state for those first three quarters and kept it a really, you know, tighter, more competitive game than I think most people were expecting. And as soon as that fourth quarter hit and they started slipping up and making those mistakes and, you know, Dotson's con- uh, continuing to break through, that's when they kind of trickle and fall behind. And then their play is kind of evident of that rather than, rather than them, you know, falling behind because they're not playing up to a certain level. So I think kind of just going forward with these next three games, like I guess hypothetically they do have the opportunity in Michigan State and Michigan to beat a team that they're maybe not supposed to beat, perhaps even Rutgers, depending on what both teams look like then. But again, uh, Maryland had the opportunity to prepare, I guess, for what um, they thought was going to be the other team's strength and weren't able to necessarily on the defensive end pull through for whatever reason. It's just something about these losses that just seemed to sting a little bit more because you talked about how close this game was. The game was Maryland was down by a score going into the fourth quarter against Penn State. They ended up losing by 17. I mean, that kind of collapse usually doesn't happen with most. Big Ten teams, unless you're Maryland. But, you know, at one point, there was a lot of hope because after Corey Deitch's touchdown at the start of the fourth quarter, you have a two-point conversion for Maryland, and I'm sure everybody's thinking, okay, they're probably not going to get it. But, look, Maryland does get it. Chico Conquo gets the two-point conversion. All of a sudden, we've got a tie game in College Park early in the fourth quarter, and Maryland is alive. And then Penn State comes right back a minute later, and Jahan Dotson breaks free for that 86-yard touchdown 
on a second and 17. That is just not a mistake that a team that was seemingly going in the right direction would make against the team, against the game that it desperately needed to win. I mean, every game in this seat that remains for the rest of the season needs to have a little bit extra desperation for Maryland to get that sixth win and to give up that kind of play to one of the best receivers in the nation. I mean, it just, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just unacceptable. So Maryland, once again, falls to a ranked team. It's their, I believe, third-ranked opponent they lost to this season, Iowa, Ohio State, and now Penn State, and obviously now Minnesota, who they lost to, was ranked. I'm not sure if they're ranked anymore, but they, they were ranked at one point last week. So just a lot of losses to some quality teams, but I, if they're going to take away one thing from it, I guess you could say that they did keep it close, and it wasn't like a Iowa blood or Ohio State blood. They were able to keep it to somewhat a, a close game, and I guess you can sort of see that as a success for this at this point in the season. But I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I thought I thought originally it was, and then I was like, I thought, okay, maybe they don't have to win this game. Like if they can start competing with some Big Ten East teams that are presumably should be at the top of the conference. But this Penn State team is bad. I mean, um, Illinois beat them in nine overtimes in state college a few weeks ago. And this, they, still, they lost three straight heading the college park. And this could have been the fourth straight loss. I mean, this isn't a good Penn state team. It's pretty bad. So I don't really see it as, as much of a positive as I did initially. Initially. Um, I just, I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me that they could compete with this Penn state team that they beat last year and were in a bunch of positions to beat this year, but failed to do so. Yeah, Maryland just couldn't get it done against Jahan Dotson. And the secondary, they did seem to bounce back a little against Indiana. But then again, in that win, they were facing a true freshman in Donovan McCauley. But then they come right back and they face a, a more veteran quarterback in Sean Clifford. And Clifford just had his way with the secondary. He completed 27 passes on 47 attempts. I mean, there were a ton of throws in this game. He ended with 363 yards, three touchdowns. And it was just another – no turnovers. I mean, Maryland's defense just hasn't been able to force turnovers. It's just not something that they've been able to do. And as a result, these opposing offenses have just been able to run all over Maryland, whether it be the passing game when they opt to pass more, or the ground game, and Maryland's getting beat. The defensive line for Maryland did look a little better with Tyler Baylor and Greg Rose combining for the team's three sacks. But at the end of the day – if they're not getting beat on the run, they're getting beat through the air. And then if they're getting beat through the air, it's vice versa. So this defense just hasn't been able to do much of anything, honestly, since the West Virginia game. I mean, if the game against Howard, I'm not really sure you can count that. And they did hold a, a, like a not great Illinois offense. But, I mean, this offense really hasn't impressed that much. And I'm not sure that they can step it up with three games left to be considering their opponents against Michigan state, Michigan, and then the Rutgers game, which I'm sure we will talk plenty about because that's all of a sudden looking like the, the ultimate game that they're going to need to win. But this defense, I'm just not sure they can bounce back from this point. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, this defense has just been bad. And if it's, it's, it's like when the run, when the rush defense is, is working well and they're stopping the run, they're getting beat through the air, like you said. And when hence vice versa, like the sometimes maybe it's due to injuries, some depletion in the secondary. But when when the secondary is playing well, which they have at some points this season, because it, they do have some talented players back there. Um, Jordan Mosley, Nick Cross, Tahib Still, but for whatever reason, um, when they're playing well, the rush defense, the other team is running all over them. 
So it's never they're working at the same time and, and opposing offenses are just finding weaknesses and exposing them. And so because of that, they've just really struggled and given up a ton of points. And even when their offense, which has been inconsistent, as we've talked about, even when their offense is doing is playing well, it's hard for them to, to catch up because their defense is, is giving up a point seemingly every possession. Yeah, and I think it's something that surprises me at least a little based on some of the stuff we talked about earlier this season is kind of the spin or like the 180 that this um, defense has had. I think that there was a little bit more, especially after um, Dante Dimas got hurt, a little bit more uncertainty with the offense and the defense was supposed to have, I guess, some returners and leaders. You know, you look at Nick Cross, Tarheep Still, some of the other players, and they just haven't been performing up to uh, caliber, I guess. I don't know if that changes between now and then. I think that, I mean, Michigan State is an interesting way to look at it. Like, they know that um, Kenneth Walker is going to have the potential to have a fantastic game against Maryland. I mean, he's probably looking at it. He at all these recent games and thinking that he can have an incredible game. Maryland knows that coming in. So it'll be interesting to see how well they can, can contain them, him or if they even can contain him. And I think it's an interesting test for the defense because it'll just show if they can kind of learn from maybe some of their past mistakes or if it's just going to kind of continue to spiral for them. Yeah, we'll get to the Michigan State game in a second. The last thing I want to touch on about this Penn State game, especially on the offense, we talk a lot about Talia Tagovailoa and his rotating options. But one of his options who kind of has fallen off in the past weeks really stepped up for Maryland. It was Chigas and McConquo, the, uh, the senior. He ended with 12 catches, 85 yards, and he was the first Terp to have 10 or more receptions in a single game since senior wide receiver Dante Demas had uh, that many or he, he had double-digit catches against Purdue in October of 2019. And coming into the matchup, Okonkwo only had 20 total catches. He came away at the end of the Penn State one with 12, 85 yards, which is easily a season high for him. And he's kind of been fluctuating. If you just look at the two games before, he only combined for four catches for 32 yards. So I think it's just more of a product of Tugavailoa spreading the ball around. But is, you know, is Chig going to be that number two guy moving forward? I think we talk about the, the opposite question every week if he's going to fall off or if he's going to continue being a big player for this team. But I think it's just going to continue to be a roller coaster. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think you, I was about to say, you asked that question. You asked the, the complete opposite question last week. You said, is, is like Chig going to, is he going to be full out of this offense or not really be involved anymore? And I think me and Lauren both said like, no, you, you don't really know what you're going to get from him, but he's proven that he can be productive. And he certainly was, and he was Talia's top option this past this past Saturday and and I think when you have Dante Dimas go down Sean Jones go down and you're really struggling to find guys who can who you who you're Talia's struggling to find guys who he can rely on excuse me it's he really needs to like distribute the ball as much as he can and just it's a game by game basis whoever's clicking with him whoever he feels like he's on a similar wavelength with wavelength wavelength with I can't speak today um <laughs> He's just gonna he's just gonna click and and that's what's that's what's gonna happen and and on Saturday it was Chick so you really never know who you're gonna get I mean um it could be like Brian Cobb's one game we we tried to you try to get Raheem Jarrett more involved um but you really not you really know never know who it's gonna be and Talia played um really well I mean we didn't really talk about his performance or the offense he did play really well 371 passing yards um, 41 completions he had a touchdown. 
Um, he led them to the red zone a bunch of times and either it was a miscue that backed them up or maybe they ran it in for the for touchdowns in terms of the running game. But the one thing that he didn't do very well is that pick late in the game that pretty much sealed the game. Um, he needs to get it done. Yeah, he need, I mean, that's a pick. That's a throw that, like, he can't make. Um, after the game, Loxley was saying it was a route that the um, – the receiver didn't run properly and, and he was in the wrong place and Talia should have, was supposed to deliver the ball there, but Talia said the safety read it well. He took some responsibility. Um, regardless, it's not a pass you can make that late in the game. And we just see him try – we see those interceptions come, those poor decisions come when he's just trying to make plays um, late in games where he, where he really needs to and the team needs to rely on him. And that's when those interceptions come and, and they're costly. But other than that, and they were kind of like, even if they score a touchdown there, they're probably not winning the game because they have to onside kick it after. Um, I forgot exactly how much time was left, but they're probably not winning that game anyway. But besides the interception, I really do think Talia played well. Yeah, and going back to, Dylan, what you were saying before about, I guess, Jay having a little bit of a roller coaster going forward as well. I don't disagree. I think he had a roller coaster in the game on Saturday. I mean, he dropped a couple passes at the beginning that – kind of made it look like, oh, yeah, maybe he is kind of falling off. And then all of a sudden he breaks out just a few minutes later and, you know, um, has a career high game for himself. So I think that, you know, it'll continue to be a little bit of a roller coaster, similar to how the last game was, similar to how the last few games have been. But I think seeing this performance gives a lot of promise to, uh, you know, shows him, Talia, the rest of the, uh, the coaching staff, kind of what he can do. And maybe, you know, maybe he'll get some more targets going forward, but it's kind of just a matter of, I think, whether he's going to be um, able to kind of keep up with the breakout or if, you know, maybe he's going to have some more drop passes and then it doesn't go in his direction so much. All right. So Maryland wasn't able to build off its 38-35 win over Indiana and it now stands at 5-4 and four, heading into next week. They have two games on the road remaining with one – Home game coming against Michigan. The two road games will come against number eight, Michigan State, which we will talk about now. That'll happen on Saturday at 4 p.m., I believe kickoff is. And then uh, they'll end the season on the road against Rutgers. So this Michigan State matchup, going to be a very interesting one. Another chance for Maryland to pull off a miracle upset against a ranked opponent. I believe Michigan State's opening is around two touchdown favorites. Um Five consecutive games, Maryland has given up 30-plus points. This Michigan State offense is not one to play around with. Are the Spartans going to score 30 points or more on Saturday? Yeah, when we've seen Maryland struggle with the run, I mean, they really struggle with what the run. And I don't care how much time they prepare. We saw two weeks against Minnesota, and they could not stop Minnesota at all. Michigan State is going to – they're home. Number one, they're home. It's a tough environment to go, go into in East Lansing, and they're just going to pound the ball, pound the rock, wear down this Maryland defense, kill the clock. And I do think they're going to score more than 30, even doing that. Um, and I don't think Maryland's going to be able to keep up. It's two touchdowns spread for a reason. Michigan State's also coming off a loss. They were undefeated up until that point, but they still have a lot to play for, including potentially a Big Ten um, championship, I believe. So, I mean, this is this is way more important game for Michigan State off a loss, and they're the much better, more complete team. And when we've seen Maryland struggle against the run, they have virtually no shot in the game. I think that's going to be the theme on Saturday. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be – I think that they'll give up more than 30 points to Michigan State. 
But the thing is, is that other teams have held Michigan State to below 30 points this season. We've seen Purdue do it. Indiana did it. Indiana held them to um, 15. Nebraska did it. So you look at these teams that maybe um, Indiana, Nebraska, that maybe aren't as strong as some of like the top contenders in the Big Ten who were able to do it. But you're 100% right, Sam. We saw against Minnesota, they were just not able to do it. And they had the two weeks to prepare and they knew exactly what was coming at them. And like I had mentioned before, they know exactly what's coming at them on Saturday. And it'll be kind of a matter of, you know, unless something really has changed since Minnesota and they really learn from their mistakes, I don't necessarily see Maryland holding to Michigan State to less than 30 points. However, if they were able to pull together the pieces, it wouldn't necessarily be surprising to me on Michigan's offensive end, rather the surprise would come from Mar- like the surprise would be that Maryland's defense was able to kind of string it together. This game feels so similar to the week before the Minnesota game, because when Maryland was going ahead and they were going to play Minnesota, you knew exactly what you were getting in Minnesota's offense and what their plan for success was. It was to stop Maryland's run and to force the throw. And then on the offensive side of the ball, they were just going to pound it at Maryland. They did just that. Maryland gave them no problems, and they eventually claimed the 34-16 win. I fear that it's going to be such a similar game to that, and it's Michigan State is a much scarier version of a Minnesota team. So you know, you know exactly what you're getting with the Spartans. You're going to be getting at least 25 touches from Kenneth Walker on Saturday. That's something that's probably going to happen. He averages 147.8 rushing yards per game. That's about 40 yards more than any other running back in the Big Ten. He has 15 touchdowns on the year. He averages 6.8 yards per carry, over 1,300 yards on nearly 200 attempts. He is a, is a monster, and he's probably the best non-quarterback in the nation. And he's going to garner a ton of Heisman Trophy watch as the season continues, especially if he keeps it up. And all signs point to, yeah, he's going to keep it up against Maryland. Why? Because Maryland hasn't been able – to stop any situation that's going to be similar to this as to what they're going to get on Saturday. Yeah, and then against Minnesota, they had two weeks to prepare. I mean, I don't care how many weeks you have to prepare against Kenneth Walker. It's just you're not going to be able to stop him, especially this front seven for Maryland that hasn't been able to stop anyone on the ground, really. Um, and then the other thing is, like, for Maryland to upset a team, for anyone to upset a team that's significantly better than you, you need to put together a complete game. And they can't put together a complete game all year. They haven't even come close to it, even in their wins, where they're beating opponents that aren't as good as them. They haven't come close to put together a complete game. And like it, they're so predictable in the sense that you know a couple false starts, false start penalties are coming. You know you're gonna get a few drops in crucial situations, probably when you're driving. You know missed tackles are gonna come. Um, you know you're probably gonna have a fumble or an interception there. They're here, and on the other end, you're not going to get any turnovers. When this te- when the team is as predictable as this, and they struggle in discipline categories, and they can't put together a big, um, a complete game where they can't. No, no game is perfect, but pretty close to perfect. You have no shot of upsetting a really great team in Michigan State. So that's that's not happening this week, and it's not going to happen the week after against Michigan. So let's just get right into our predictions for the end of the week, and then we'll wrap up. So I guess let's just get right into it. I'm going to go ahead and say that Michigan State is going to beat the 30-point mark again. 
just because that's just something that the Maryland defense can't really stop right now. Kenneth Walker is going to run all over Maryland. And I think Maryland's offense is going to be held under 20 points again. I think it's going to be a 20-plus point victory for Michigan State, and I can easily see it being like a, a 37-17 to 17 game. I have a very similar prediction, but three, three points less on each end. I have 34-14 to 14 Michigan State. I was also so close. I'm 37-21 Michigan State. Okay, so we are all at a over the 30 point mark for Michigan State, and we are projecting Maryland to go to five and five. So that would leave two games left on the season. Michigan, who's Maryland's going to have an even tougher time playing against, and then Rutgers to close off the season. So we talked about Maryland men's basketball, Maryland football, and I think that'll do it for today for this Testudo Times podcast. That'll do it for another Wednesday. So thank you so much for listening. And we will see everybody next week for when after Maryland plays Michigan State on the road and Maryland men's basketball will have a few more regular season games under their belt. So thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next Wednesday.